Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, it turns out the 30 carbine was not a useless cartridge after all. In fact, it was pretty effective in World War II, and we're going to find out all about it on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Hey everyone, Ron Spomer here. I always invite you to correct me or fill in information when I don't get these questions and answers quite right. And recently we had someone ask about useless cartridges and I said, you know, I don't know if it's useless, but I've never understood the 30 carbine, which is a pretty weak, anemic little 30 cartridge that was designed for the military used in World War II. And I said, the best I can figure is it's kind of a glorified pistol round. And turns out it sort of was, but it had a real functional use. And we got some great comments from you folks that explain the carbine. So I'm going to read some of these, or at least parts of them. This is from Scott. And he said, the 30 carbine was developed because they needed a compact firearm that they could carry with more ammo than they could for the Garand, or the Garand as it's pronounced, I believe. But that gave superior range than the 45 ACP pistol from that oh, and from a Thompson. Oh, that you remember the Thompson machine gun? That was an option, but that shot the 45 ACP. So the 30 carbine had more range than that. All right. The carbine was also made in several special configurations adapted for use during parachuting by paratroopers with a folding stock and for tankers because it was handy and they could pop out of the tank and take some shots quickly at infantry that were flanking the tanks. All right. I own one. Wow. I own one that was used during World War II and my grandfather brought it home. I think it was the A2 version, which was select fire and was hugely popular even into Vietnam. And, uh, oh, corpsmen who were carrying a lot of medical supplies and didn't want a heavy rifle used it. So my dad was a corpsman, and a lot of his fellows opted for an A2 30 carbine with a rear part of the stock sawed off. This made a handy weapon to fire from the hip. Hmm. 
The carbine is so light that compared to the 10-pound Garand, uh, many still prefer it in some ways. Finally, they also wanted a firearm with a box magazine that would allow them to shoot more than the Garand could hold. Ah, good point. The 20-round mags were very popular and were preferred to the 10-rounders. If you want an interesting watch, find a copy of the movie Carbine Williams. And it was played by James Stewart, my favorite old actor. Gosh, I love that guy. I got a copy of that movie for my dad, and I watched it with him before he died. It's pretty poor screenplay by today's standards, but very interesting. And the actual individual and his family weighed in on it. Hmm. It's an anemic 30 caliber, but it has its place out to 100 yards. I've killed a lot of woodchucks with mine, and it was my dad's favorite deer hunting rifle for pushing cornfields because of its quick follow-up shots with soft points. Wow. That's good information, Scott. Thanks so much for sending that in. And here's another one from L.E. The M1 carbine was first conceived as a personal defensive weapon for non-combat personnel operating in forward areas where contact with the enemy was likely. Examples, truck drivers, engineers, and combat personnel other than infantry or riflemen, like artillery crews. The 1911 pistol or the M1 submachine gun, Thompson again, were the options at the time. The M1 SMG was heavy, uh, burned ammo quickly, and many soldiers had a hard time controlling the full auto fire. And the 11 pistol, 1911 pistol, proved hard to score with by personnel in support roles. Well, once the M1 carbine was fielded, many more roles were found for it. Sentries, guards, MRS, the Army Corps, uh, the Army Air Corps and the Navy considered it for air crews, but mostly opted to stay with the 1911 as it could already be on the gear when they bailed out of the aircraft. Okay. Well, I really appreciate that. You know, so I always say, guys, if I don't get it right or I don't know enough of this stuff, you can really help out with uh, comments like this. So I really appreciate it. That, that way we all get to learn something and uh, me included. So might have to try that 30 carbine someday. So here are some more questions that they've handed me. This is from Brian, and he asks, what is the rule for sight adjustment on a rifle? In your video, How to Zero a Rifle with Open Sight 3030, you mentioned moving the rear sight in the direction you want the bullet to go. Is it the opposite when you do the front sight? Yes, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, if with an open-sighted gun, rear sight, if you want your hits to go to the right, you move it to the right. If you want them to go to the left, you move to the left, obviously, and up and down and but with the front sight, if you're drifting that back and forth, it's just the opposite. You move it in the opposite direction of where you want your hits to go. I got to admit, it's confusing to me, and I often have to look it up again before I go out. Otherwise, I waste ammunition banging that thing in the wrong direction. But I don't do many open sights anymore. You know, it used to be pretty standard stuff back in the day. All right. This is J-C-O-W Chow. His question isn't fire forming a huge waste of money? <laughs> What's the reasoning? <laughs> yeah, fire forming as a huge waste of money is not if you need to fire form that case to fit your new chamber. Yeah, really, the only reason to fire form a case is if you have created a Wildcat cartridge or a, an actually improved style cartridge in which the shoulder is flattened out and or the sidewalls are straightened out. So what you do in that kind of fire forming, and I always use a 280 Remington Ackley Improved as an example. If you have a 280 Remington, that's the 30 6 neck down and changed a little bit in length to be the 28 caliber version. So it's the 280 Remington. 
And that's a darn effective little cartridge that gets almost no respect. It's better than the 270 in a lot of regards because it shoots, will shoot heavier bullets. You can get up to 175 grain bullet in a 280. But almost nobody uses it or chambers it anymore. But the 280 Ackley improved version of it is getting real popular. And what they did back in the day was they said, look, this 280 Remington could be even more powerful if we straightened the sidewalls out a little bit more and shoved that shoulder forward on a 40 degree angle. That's pretty darn flat. Pick up a few more grains of powder. But now that we've got that chamber ream to that dimension, we've got to get the brass formed to fit that. And that's where fire forming comes in. So you you can take standard 280 Remington ammunition and put it in an AI chamber as long as they both have the same head spacing on the front of that shoulder. The rest of the shoulder will flare out when you fire. It just the pressure just makes that brass flow. So the walls flow out to fit and the shoulder comes forward to fit and then you've got the proper size from then on out for hand loading. So you lose a little bit of velocity when you fire form with the original cartridge because you've got an excessive size chamber. So some of your pressure uh, goes to filling that instead of driving the bullet out. And then once you've got your fully fire formed cases and you load those up to full capacity, bingo, you've got increased velocity. It's about 100 feet per second with a 280 AI. The the real reason for having the AR cartridges is the uh, reloading ability. You be, they don't flow as much. If you've done any hand loading, you will know that cases tend to elongate at the neck and you have to do neck trimming so they don't get too long to fit your chamber properly. So you're always trimming the necks after three shots or sometimes even just two shots if it's a high pressure load. Well, with the uh, shoulder flattened like that, 40 degree shoulders, you got a lot less of that neck stretching. And that's why guys like to do it if they're hand loaders. Good question. Dave's question, uh, if I shoot nothing but copper, will I have to clean my barrel more often? You know, Dave, I don't think so. It just depends on the copper. Copper is copper. Well, there's some alloy in copper. And the different bullet makers, these are all copper bullets we're talking about, will use different combinations of whatever in their copper alloys. I'm sure some of them use just pure copper. Other ones have their little secret ingredients that improve performance as they wish it to be. And uh, the fouling is, of course, because lead bullets will foul too, but I don't know if lead's easier to get out or not. But copper fouling, for some reason, it just raises a big bugaboo in people's heads. Oh my gosh, I can't shoot copper bullets because they foul. <laughs> Everything fouls one way or another, guys. You get to clean your barrels because there's copper in there or there's lead in there or there's gilding metal. And gilding metal is 95% copper, guys. I mean, the standard jacket on a jacketed bullet that is gilding metal is 95% copper and 5% zinc most of the time. Sometimes they go with 10% zinc, but it gets pretty hard and brittle then. So yeah, you can always get copper. And uh, I don't think, I don't find that I have to clean more often because of the copper in mine, especially with the new copper bullets that have the banding, the groove bands on it. Those were put in there to relieve the potential for copper fouling and relieve the pressures. Because as you know, Copper bullets get pretty long shanks on them that are all making contact with the rifling and then can strip copper into that rifling. So they put these grooves in there. Well, obviously that sunken groove part's not going to be touching the barrel at any point. So you're not peeling off any copper. So the Barnes TSX bullet, tip triple shocks, and uh, any of the, like the hammer bullets got 
boy, they don't touch much at all because they've got this double radius thing going on where just a little bit of the shank uh, on the tops of those grooves actually touches the rifling. So, yeah, just check out those bullets. I think you will not have a problem with them. They're just, I don't hear people complaining about them, those who really shoot them a lot, including me. And I sure do like the performance. All right, this is another Dave, only this was David. And he asked, what is the barrel life of a 270 Winchester? Highly variable, <laughs> but not bad at all. If you're using it for hunting, which most of us do, I don't think you're going to shoot it out in a year, in a lifetime, really. Barrel burning is a product of burning a lot of powder in a small bore. The smaller the bore, the bigger the volume of powder, the faster the throat burns out. And a lot of people have this misconception that it's the bullet ripping down the barrel that erodes it. You're like you're you're wearing it out like a tire on a highway. No, it's the barrel breaking up from the heat mainly right at the throat. So when that cartridge fires and all that powder is almost instantly burnt, the temperatures are really, really high up into the thousands Kelvin. Um, I think it's up into thousands of degrees in Fahrenheit. Man, that is hot stuff. But it's a flash fire. And, you know, it's here and gone really quickly and the steel absorbs it and it doesn't get all that hot. But eventually what happens is the steel heats and shrinks, heats and shrinks, heats and shrinks. Imagine what happens with anything that's heats and shrinks like that. It gets work hardened. It starts to crack like an old sidewalk. And then as it breaks down, we call it alligatoring. Looks like alligator skin in there. Right where the bullet starts into the rifling. So the bullet gets ripped and torn by this crumbled up sidewalk look inside. And that's what starts to sacrifice your accuracy. Also remember that one man's definition of a burnt out barrel is not everyone's. Generally, it's the bench rest shooters who are really concerned because they are looking for this quarter inch or better accuracy precision. And if they start to see that go south after a thousand rounds, they figure the barrel's useless, throw it away. Whereas a hunter's going, are you kidding? That thing still shoots a half inch. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> so it's highly variable. I don't think you need to worry about it. You should get 2,000 to 3,000 shots through that thing easily. Um, the trick is not to shoot it hot. Don't go bang, 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 bang for 20 rounds and then have that barrel so hot you can't touch it without blistering your fingers. That makes it wear out more quickly. So just take your time. Don't shoot on a hot barrel and it should last a lifetime. All right. Peter asked a question. What are your thoughts on the pump action rifles? Good question. And I love pump action rifles. Not real crazy about the way they look. Or sound, they're kind of like we always call them the combine of firearms. Clank, clunk, clunk. <laughs> but boy, they are slick and fast. I really like them. I like them especially in the 22s. And I like them so much that I picked up an old used 22 Winchester model 62, I think it is. <laughs> that, uh, I mean, it just takes me back to my childhood when a lot of farmers had these. They were extremely popular and reliable, and they're so quick. I mean, you, you've got that little twenty-two in your hand, and you go, oh, it's just at the epitome of fun. Now, in center fires, we don't have very many options. Remington was the pump-action center fire, the models. Well, I think they had initially a Model 14, and they got to be the 70, 760 and the 7600, I believe. Um, and... I've got a friend who has one in 270, and he loves it. A lot of folks do, but they're not famous for accuracy, and I don't think that's inherent in a pump action. 
um, they can be extremely accurate. And I think some of them even have floating barrels. And that suggests that you can make them really quite accurate. It's probably a trigger issue more than anything on them. But boy, uh, I think Pennsylvania is the state in which the pump action Remington deer rifles, 270, 30-06 and such, are the most popular. Now, somebody correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but didn't Browning once have a pump action centerfire rifle? I know they have the BPS pump action shotgun, and it just seemed like they would have a, a rifle version, but I'm not coming up with one in my mind's eye. Uh, let us know on that. And are there any others out there? Uh, I suspect right now there are probably some from Rossi. Maybe the Italian firearms group imports a version from somebody made by Petter Soli, maybe. I need to do a little more research on that one, guys. Let me know if you know of any great pump action rifles other than that Remington. And of course, with 22s, there are lots of them, and they are wonderful. All right, uh, Peter, that was great. This is uh, someone called Deer King. Deer King asks, What's your opinion on a semi auto rifle like the Remington 742 or 750? Boy, it's right on the heels of the pump action Remington. I don't know all that much about them. They were really popular back in the mid 20th century. My uncle had one, my cousin had one, and he was a heck of a deer shot. You know, cousin Alan would go deer hunting. You pretty much knew you were going to be having to drag a deer out. <laughs> and he had an auto loading 30 out six Remington, and he could just lay him out. Uh, obviously they're fast and, and they feel like a modern, well, they feel like the mo the 20th century epitome of a sporting rifle, right? So they look and feel with their stock lines, a lot like a bold action rifle because they were tailored to fit you as a hunting rifle. Whereas the modern sporting rifles, the AR-15 and 10 styles these days are, are more of a military option. They're optimized for performance in that theater, not necessarily in carrying it over your shoulder or going through the woods silently and easily and stealthily or any of that. And I don't know. It just it just seems like they work really well in hunting situations. But I've used one, um I not the Remington. I used the Browning auto loader in a 300 Win Mag, as I recall, on a Niala hunt or a Nil guy hunt in Texas. And it worked beautifully, and I took my nail guy with one shot. You know, great. So I think it's a darn effective rifle. If you like auto loaders, I think they're about as sleek and handy as you're going to get. Um, I'm not sure what the magazines hold, five rounds, four, probably. More than enough firepower. I don't advocate rapid firepower being necessary because you're shooting at game poorly. <laughs> I like to still go for that first shot every time, but... Well, it's it's not a bad option at all. And the crew back there is telling me my options are just about over here. <laughs> it is time to ring off. So that is another episode of Ron Spomer's podcast, Question and Answers. And once again, I thank our listeners for sending in those responses on the 30 Carbine. That was great. And if you've got any good information on these pump actions and autoloaders that I didn't cover, send that in and we'll run it next time. In the meantime, this is Ron Spomer inviting you to subscribe to this channel. Give us a thumbs up. Check us out on ronspomeroutdoors.com website, rsotv.com, and Ron Spomer Outdoors YouTube channel where we do the ballistics and the cartridges and all that fun stuff. Until next time, on Honest and Shoot Straight.
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.